Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from American Media for saints and sinners. You can join us each week for honest conversations about the Catholic Church and our world today, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Thrilled to be on a podcast for Santas and Scrooges. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. I am so excited to share this episode with our listeners. Yes, it's a little bit different, but very fun. We enlisted our very talented and interesting colleagues here in America to hear about their Christmas traditions and to share them with you. I feel like everybody has like a couple Christmas traditions that they, they love and they hold near and dear to their heart. Um, and it's such a fun thing to talk to other people about because it's, it's a great icebreaker question. Um, it was a there's a lot uh, to mine there. I feel like lots of love and lore and tradition. And there's also a lot of spiritual wisdom underneath yeah. a lot of these things. What What's your favorite Christmas tradition? I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite. Uh, maybe it's I'll say this getting a real Christmas tree. Uh, mm. with my with my mom is usually top for me. How about you? Um, I've probably mentioned this on the show before, but my family tradition is to go to the 5 p.m. Christmas Eve mass, which is like the kids' mass, and then we go make a short drive over to the International House of Pancakes for dinner. The 7 o'clock <laughs> seating at yeah. the International House Early, of Pancakes. Early bird special at the IHOP for us. <laughs> I, I do love, I love that as a tradition. And then later in life, we actually, after IHOP, our family started <laughs> going caroling around our neighborhood, and we did this like way too late in our lives like we weren't cute little kids we were like college kids and 20 year olds like going around and singing but our neighbors get a kick out of it it's never too (laughs) late to spread some christmas cheer so we have a great episode coming up hope that you can put this on maybe while you're wrapping some presents cooking some food so go ahead uh kick your feet up get comfortable pour some eggnog more on that later but stick around for this first conversation with heather trotta who is america's vice president for advancement on the imperfections of nativity pageants Welcome to Jesuitical, Heather. I'm so glad to be here. It is a highlight. Hey, cheers. Merry Christmas. Cheers. Merry Christmas. All right. So we brought you on to talk about a lovely piece you wrote for America about leading your parish's nativity pageant. So let's let's just take us take us to your church. What are the kids? What's the show? What's happening? Well, first of all, in October, I had parents come up to me and say, are you directing the nativity play again this year? I, of course, had not even thought about that because Christmas in December was eons away for me. And it's one of the things that I've done the last two or three years because it brings me such joy. It's chaotic. It can be frustrating. But at the end of the day, when you see the kids up there 
performing on Christmas Eve and reenacting Jesus's birth, it is just so beautiful that I can't not do it. How old are the kids? What are the age so the ki- kids range in age from two and a half to 12. And we have non-readers and readers, and we have kids who have spent a lot of time at church and kids who maybe go to church on Christmas and Easter, which is fine, but they tend to run around during practice. And so there's a little bit of teaching that goes on as well. And is this the standard nativity story or is there any spice that you add your own flavor? So it is the standard nativity story based on the Gospel of Luke. It's been the same script for the last 20 years. However, this year I did add that at the end, the organ and cantor will accompany the children in the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing because I can only teach them one verse um, and figured having some accompaniment would really add to the show. That takes a real uh, director's eye to be able to it identify was really, those moments. Yes. I hope you get your due. Uh, ha- talk me through uh, casting. Casting. The, I, these are like, are there people that have their like hearts set on certain roles? So Mary is a sought after role. And so there's often negotiating as to who gets to be Mary. I try to let the older kids have the speaking roles, and if they've participated year after year, then certainly they get those roles. Then whenever I do my casting or recruiting, I ask the parents, do the children actually want to say lines? So there are some kids, including one of my own, who refuses to have speaking lines. And so he will say, I want to be a wise man, or I want to be a shepherd so that he doesn't have to speak. Mm. And are you dealing with like parent egos? I don't know how much you want to reveal here. Because is this like so, Little League? Like, <laughs> it's not quite the. It, it, in the beginning, the first year, it was a little bit of Little League, but then I learned to level set. And so now I assign the roles before the first practice so that everyone has a day or two to process, process and feel comfortable with their child's role. But to that point, there have been parents who come up to me and I'm like, oh, I can't come to one of the practices. Can my child still be in the play? And I'm like, of course. Like, this is, should be welcoming. It should be fun. It should be something that the kids enjoy. And also remember in 10 years from now, like, oh, I was a sheep one year and then I got to be a shepherd and then I was Joseph. Like, I think that's important that the kids connect it back to a positive experience. Yeah, I wanted to ask how much the kids understand of what's happening because you, you write in your piece that you you ask them, all right, who do you think first reenacted the nativity scene? And they give a very charming answer. <laughs> yes. So when I asked them, I think I said something along the lines of who who do you think helped coordinate the first nativity? And one little boy yelled out, you. And I was like, <laughs> I better go home and make sure I don't have gray hair. Because the question before that was, when do you think the first nativity was reenacted? And the first person said 1906. So I'm like, well, that's kind of a long time ago. But it was 800 years ago that St. Francis reenacted the first nativity in Italy. So it's exciting that on its 800th anniversary, we're doing it in our little parish in New York. 
and the same imperfections that happened 800 years ago and also on Jesus's birth will likely happen on Christmas Eve at four o'clock. And, and your sons are in this. What, what roles do they have? Yes. So Harry is a wise man and um, he is quite wise during play practice, but that's OK. And <laughs> Benjamin, um, gratefully, he is participating as Caesar Augustus. So he's on the older side of um, participants, but knew that we my recruiting wasn't so strong with males. So he stepped in. Oh, that's great. What are you trying to like nail down before the big performance? So our beautiful angels, they walk down the aisle or should I say they run down the aisle and then they get up there and they say something like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And they say it so softly, like they can't project their voices. So we're really working on that. And then I have three of the cutest sheep this year. I think the oldest is four and that they don't get scared once they see a packed house That's or a packed like real that, sheep. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously, pageants are adorable. <laughs> and But I'm wondering if you can pull back and maybe draw some spiritual lessons you've gained from directing your, yeah. your parishes. I think pageant. what's been interesting to me is that the kids actually enjoy it. And one child said to me, I like being in the play because I get to act during church. And I think for little kids, it's hard to sit and stand and kneel during church. But this lets them really be a part of the liturgy and really understand. I think that they really do learn about Jesus's birth. And my hope is that, or my gift to them, is that they can find their own light to Bethlehem and learn. And maybe it's not this year, and maybe it's in five years, but all of the beautiful gifts that Jesus has bestowed upon all of us, that they can carry that in their hearts. And before we let you go, we have one final question. And it's not the one that you're probably expecting, because we're switching it up for Christmas. (laughs) Um, your favorite Christmas candle scent? Ooh, I really like, I think it's called Holiday Cheer or something from Nest, but I am a sucker for candles and love the like fur where the it smells like Fraser fur yeah. that you can't go wrong. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Heather Trotta, thank you so much for joining us on Jesuitical. Thank you. And Merry good luck Christmas. with the, good luck with the big performance. <laughs> All right. Autographs at the end. <laughs> Next up, we're talking to Molly Cahill. Molly is an associate editor here at America, and we talked to her about a very special Advent tradition she has with her mother and sister. But first, a warning. That's right. We are going to be talking about some of the secrets of Santa's workshop. So if you're listening with kids right now, make them go outside and build a snowman or maybe stick some headphones in. Joining us now is Molly. Molly, welcome to Jesuitical. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you both. It is so great to have you. Delighted to talk about this wonderful little Advent tradition. You brought this up to me in one of our meetings together. You mentioned that your mom does this thing for Advent. I was blown away. Um, Could you just clue us into broadly what that tradition is? Sure. So my mom, since I was born, has given me, and then when my sister came along eventually, small gifts for every Sunday of Advent. And the idea behind it was to kind of 
emphasize the importance of Advent and not just Christmas for us and to kind of get down at a kid's level and something that a kid could get into. And it's become just the most precious family tradition for me. I was talking to my mom about it yesterday and I was sort of asking her, did you ever expect that I'd be 25 and we'd still be doing this? And she said, no, I never really kind of envisioned where it would go, but it's still something that we do even virtually over FaceTime every week when we light the Advent wreath, even though I now live away and so does my sister. So I'm curious, how did it change? What did it mean to you when you were a little kid? And what does it mean to you now that you're you're an adult living in the big city? Yeah. My mom was saying it was sort of just a seed that she planted and tried and didn't know if we were going to really take to it or really be interested in it. And to be honest, what I mostly remember from when I was little is gifts and the excitement of something new to open and especially to share it with my sister, who I just absolutely love. Now I think a lot more about what my mom is doing when she puts this together and the effort that goes into it every week. I think it's made me think differently about how I do gift giving, especially when I was writing the article. I was doing a lot of reflecting on how am I going to kind of take the spirit of this into the gifts that I give this year and going forward. So I think it's also just kind of become a sort of meditation for me. I think it went from gifts to family time and then eventually to how am I going to take this and pass it on in some spirit way. Do you feel like this is eaten into your Christmas morning gift receiving? Like, you, I have a friend whose birthday is December 23rd, and he's always claimed that he gets double the presents. Mm. And I've always known that's, as an adult, you realize you probably <laughs> just totally go so far. Do you feel like this is cut into your Christmas morning gift? No, I definitely don't. Um, and I think a lot of that is because the Advent gifts are really different in nature. They're not the things that are, say, at the top of our Christmas list. They were never the American Girl doll or the iPod or the things that we were really hoping for. Most of the time, I've gotten things that I never knew that I wanted or even knew existed. And they're small. They're, um, you know, a journal, a book, a great pair of socks. Um, My mom got me one year a pencil case that has mine and my sister's faces on it. We were talking last night about... um, During COVID, when I first moved to the city, she was sort of thinking, how am I ever going to keep this up now? Not just because you live away, but because mailing presents to me was kind of unreliable during that year. And I totally forgot about this, but she reminded me we did sort of a scavenger hunt where she sent me to different streets eventually to end up at a bakery in my neighborhood where there was like a little treat waiting for me. So those are the types of things that it is. So it's I think about it totally separately than the sort of Christmas morning excitement and those things that I may have been hoping for or even directly asking for. It's interesting because I think a lot of us grew up with, you know, Santa being our idea of of the gift giver. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, having grown up your whole life thinking not maybe I assume you maybe believed in Santa for a bit, but always know that your mom was also someone giving you gifts around this time. What, What did that mean? Yeah. She said something interesting about the fact that when she came up with the tradition, she was thinking about it separately from Santa because when you're a parent who decides to do the Santa tradition with your kid, you know and assume that they'll age out of it at some point, that it's something that eventually they'll stop believing in and you'll stop doing. And because we knew that these things were coming from her and it was an Advent tradition supposed to be about something a little bit different than the secularity of Christmas, um, it was something that we didn't necessarily have to age out of. So that piece I really love, that it's been able to come with me because it isn't some magical, fantastical thing. But also, especially as I get older, I definitely appreciate the fact that there is somebody who 
is really talented at this. And this is the way that they show love who spends so much time and creativity thinking about me as sort of the object of that. And my sister, somebody who I love, too. A big fun part of this for me is not just the things that I get, but sharing it with somebody else and watching the things that they open and say, oh, my gosh, that is perfect for you. Somebody who chose this knows you so well, loves you that much, appreciates the little things about you. It's a little Trinitarian. <laughs> I guess so. I guess you wow. could say that. All right. We're getting theological. Um, but yeah, I I think that the creativity is something that is sort of a quality of hers that inspires me, but that I'm I'm kind of honored to be the recipient of. All right, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about this. I, I love this tradition. And we, we didn't mention it. it's like all around an advent wreath too, yeah. right? Like that's part of like yeah. the whole thing. And it, so it builds upon another tradition. Yep. Um, before we let you go, we have one final question for you. Okay. Are you a fake or real Christmas tree person? Mm. I've always been a real Christmas tree person. We I grew up always having a real Christmas tree. I think the smell can't be beat. The vibe of having the real Christmas tree can't be beat. Um but the real Christmas tree is definitely a lot of work, and going to pick it out has been fun, but also a lot of work. So no hate to anybody who's on the fake Christmas tree train. Do you like the Christmas trees that are kind of like short and stout or like tall and skinny or like teardrop? I'm What's- a big short and stout oh, fan. Okay. I love that shape. I just think there's some character to it. And yeah. yeah, definitely. I definitely love the real Christmas tree vibe of everything. I am also very pro Christmas tree, but real Christmas real tree. Real Christmas tree. Yeah, and I and I do have hate towards people <laughs> that, go, that opt for the fake one. All right, you're going on the record. <laughs> on like the it. record. On the record. On the record. What about you, Ashley? Oh, definitely real. I, it, it's hard. You know, I live in a little studio in New York now, so I can't get quite the grand Christmas tree that I, I'm, I'm used to at my, my parents' house. Mm-hmm. But it is my favorite thing when I go back there for Christmas to walk in. And the first thing you see when you walk in the door is the Christmas tree. So yeah. looking forward to that. I will say there was a little bit of tree inflation this year, price wise. I was Definitely. that was tough. So I do I do have some. My heart goes out to people that like yeah. It's like no, I, I can't stomach that price for yep. a thing that's going to die uh, in a matter of weeks. <laughs> totally, anyway, Molly. Thank you so much for coming on the show and Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Up next, we've got a very special conversation with Brother Joe Hoover, who is America's poetry editor, about Midwestern Christmas traditions. Welcome to Jesuitical, Joe. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. And Merry Christmas. It's the day of the office Christmas party. It's really exciting to have you also in studio for a Christmas special of Jesuitical. Totally. We have a lot of snowflakes hanging from the ceiling already, which are going to stay probably until the 4th of July. Exactly. As they should. As a queen once (laughs) said, we can leave the Christmas lights on until January. (laughs) All right, Joe, we are here to talk to you about something you are an expert in, which is the Midwest. That's right. So tell us where you're from. Where'd you grow up? I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. All right. But the Jesuits have moved you all around the country and world. Yeah, and a few times, though, in the Midwest. I went to college at Marquette, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, before I joined the Society. My philosophy studies, I was at Loyola Chicago, where Zach also went. Fantastic place. Um, go Ramblers. But yeah, I went to Berkeley, I mean, a college near Berkeley, Jesuit School of Theology, and uh, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which is the Plains, not really the Midwest. Is so. Sorry, this is a very silly question. Are you Midwestern, Are you Zach? asking if I'm from the Midwest? <laughs> Well, that's... What coast is Ohio near? 
I well, let me know. Like he just, just said, there are fine distinctions between the Midwest and the Plains and the and the. I don't know what else. That's an interesting one though, because <laughs> Ohio know. Midwest is like it is the like part of Ohio is like Appalachian. Of, yeah, part I, of it's basically Pennsylvania, which just, is not Midwest. You, you just let me know what ocean. I'm near. Pennsylvania is not near an ocean. But the Midwest is like an idea. <laughs> it's like a state of mind. It's yes. like much larger than the Midwest. Right? This is, and this is a great segue into <laughs> this piece you've written for America, which is a Midwestern discussion about Advent traditions. Could you just uh, it it is very much in the style of a Joe Hoover classic, which hmm. is a little bit quirky. Um, it's fictional. Completely made up. Completely <laughs> made up. <laughs> Uh, could you set the scene for our listeners? Yeah. Well, first of all, Ashley suggested we do something kind of fun about a year ago about Advent. And so I wrote up this entirely uh, fictional story, um, which I'm very proud to say I'm slowly doing my best to turn America Magazine into The New Yorker, which has one fiction story every issue. So it's a story about um, a guy uh, going back to his old college in Milwaukee, an unnamed co- well a college that I created called Max McGee. <laughs> if you're a Packer fan, you know Max McGee was one of the old Packer greats from the 60s. And speaking to one of his old friends named Bam Brukowski um, in Milwaukee. <laughs> so, well, I'll just read the opening paragraph if I can. During my freshman year of college, my roommate was a half-hearted Catholic and true son of Wisconsin named Bam Brukowski. Bam was a toe-headed cross between Robin Yount, Curly Lambeau, and Custard. <laughs> he grinned deliriously at the cold. His fashion statements were all spelled Carhartt. He was awesome. All right, I get like a third of those references. Really? <laughs> Who is Curly Lambeau? Who is Robin Yount? Curly and Lambeau. what is Carhartt? <laughs> what is Carhartt? Oh my gosh. You ask what is Wait, Ohio but... the Midwest and what is Carhartt in the Look, same I'm episode? Elite. I'm not afraid to admit elite. it. Oh my God. Please go ahead. Let Jill. me walk you through this, Ashley. I'm so happy to do this. Um, first of all, ski, Bambrukowski, is a popular last um, syllable in Milwaukee last names. Ski. Okay. For the Polish people or Poles. As Stanley Kowalski makes it very clear in Streetcar Named Desire. Pol- people from Poland are not Polacks. They're Poles. Right. Okay, aside. Anyway, Bam was a toe-headed cross, meaning a blonde-haired uh, cross, between Robin Yount, who was the great uh, shortstop for the 80s Brewers, who made it to the World Series in 82, played St. Louis Cardinals, lost in seven games. Curly Lambeau, former Packers coach, and Lambeau Stadium, the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, and custard is like ice cream, but better. I know that one. Okay. <laughs> Carhartt is hunter's clothing. It's a workman's okay. clothing. Right. It's like right. usually kind of really mustardy. Warm, yeah, really warm. It's tough. Okay. Um, and it'd be a very Wisconsin-y kind of clothing. So why do you want to... Let's move a little bit to Advent and Christmas. Like, what are some of the scenes... You, you wanted to set something in the Midwest. What are some of the scenes that you automatically reach for when you think Midwestern Advent? Well... What we wanted to do was just find a way to get Advent out there and find an interesting way to talk about these traditions, all of these traditions. But this is a Midwestern discussion about Advent traditions, not necessarily a discussion about Midwestern Advent traditions. Mm. Maybe there are Midwestern Advent traditions, um, but it talks about people going to confession, like the third sun, you know, third Monday of Advent, which happens all over in dioceses everywhere. Um, 
And I I noticed that that happened like 15 years ago. They started doing that. And I think it was... You started sinning more. I started sinning more. Kind of yeah, bad. exactly. Yeah. Well, the whole country did, really. Yes, so, right. Yeah. Secularism. Um, <laughs> so... Um, and so the church tried to bring this back and also bring people back to the uh, idea of just going to reconciliation. But so in this story, I, Joe, real life Joe, am having a conversation with fake Bam, Bam Brukowski, who talks about going back to the church trying to reinstitute Advent reconciliation. And um, he's talking about why the church is doing this. I, Joe, real life Joe. And Bam says, Joe, I know you're a religious brother and everything, much respect, but you really need to amp up your church history. Advent was started by your namesake, Joseph, in the year zero AD on the back of a donkey going to Bethlehem. <laughs> the true start of Advent. The true start of Advent. <laughs> so, okay, so one of the, di- the dynamic in this story is you are the religious brother who knows everything about religion right and you are trying to impart your wisdom to bam who is just as confident in his yeah. wisconsin wisdom <laughs> right right <laughs> so i want to know is is this a real thing you encounter when you go back to omaha no, or visit your no, college no, no, buddies no, no. and i was very clear to try to not make this a put down on wisconsin people or milwaukee people or anything and jim keen my editor sometimes gets me out of trouble, says, Hoover, you can't put this. This is going to make it look like you're looking down on these as people as a coastal elite. I'm like, I say I'm from Milwaukee. Or I say I'm from the Midwest. Um, b- but Bam uh, takes everything um, that I say in this article, talking about lessons and carols. It, it uh, you know, began in England in the late 1800s. It's songs and Christmas carols and hymns and Bible readings. Which that, Bam, all, that all is true, yes? That's all true. Okay. That's all true. I did research for this a little <laughs> bit. And Bam's like, stop. You're speaking very, very formal, Joey. Do you like wear bow ties or something? Anyway, you don't quite have it. Lessons and carols, says Bam, is a sandbag-filling party. <laughs> and Joe says, what? He's like, yeah, water levels are rising everywhere. At Lake Michigan, Milwaukee River, local swimming pools. Do you even read the news? We got to get ready for the floods. So, I say, why do they call it Lessons and Carols? Bam says, why wouldn't they? I fell silent. There was absolutely no arguing with that. So, uh... <laughs> I really like this guy, I have to say. <laughs> I really like this character that I've created. Now, when you say it's a Midwestern discussion, is is there something particular to Midwestern discussions that, like, lends itself that to me the as a coastal elite would not understand yeah. <laughs> well clearly you don't understand Carhartt Curly Lambeau Robin Yount and Custard right. what lessons are you taking more broadly from like from Advent from reading this because uh, you've got these two characters one's got um, their own idea and knowledge yeah. and someone's BAM is going other places with it uh, right what do you make of that for our listeners for a larger Advent takeaway well what's fun about this I think is I'm you know, talking about all these Advent traditions like Vespers and so forth. He's like, no, that's that's about riding a, a scooter around the city. And I'm like, no, that's Vespas. But the fun thing is that this guy, Bam, is very confident, like you said, in his beliefs and what he knows Advent to be, but he's excited about it. Whether he gets it right or not, he's excited about going to Our Lady of Trout for Vespers. Um He's excited about all these things he gets to do. So 
you know, it just reminds me of someone who's got coming back to the faith, reclaiming their their faith, and gets to do these these things. And it's it's like very Catholic in that it's like a room full of jewels. There's like, oh, this kind of jewel and that kind of jewel and this shiny thing and that cool thing. It's over here and there and this diamond and that emerald and this ruby and this gem. So there's many ways in to, in one way or another, the same thing. Christ has come into the world incarnated to show us the love and mercy of God and to lead us ultimately to our salvation and life with him forever. But there's all these fun, interesting, quirky, beautiful uh, ways in, uh, which is one of the things about being Catholic that people find their thing, you know, oh, I love Advent. That's my favorite season. Or I really like Lent. It's a little more somber and that's kind of my flavor. And I love what you said about excitement too, because I think there's a lot of pressure on people to do things the right way, mm. um, especially in these heavy hitter seasons like Advent and Lent. And yeah. really, I think you show that like, even sometimes just like, I think God looks at our eagerness and our excitement, even if it's factually incorrect and delights in it. Right. Um, Joe, we do have one final question for you. Before Who would I name as a saint? No, no, we switched it you, up. You, Zach. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'll take that All and right. run with it. But no, we're asking people fun holiday questions right. to conclude with. Yours is, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized reindeer or one reindeer-sized duck? Repeat the question. <laughs> would you rather fight 50 Duck-sized reindeer. So 50 reindeer who are small as ducks. Yes. Or one reindeer-sized duck. Or one... Really big duck. <laughs> 50 <laughs> duck-sized reindeer, obviously. Why? But I would, I would say the rosary in front of them. You know, I wouldn't you would fight them. You would convert them all. I would convert them all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joe Hoover, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the podcast. My pleasure to be here. Merry thank Christmas. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> And last but certainly not least, we have Carrie Weber. Carrie is an executive editor for America, and we are talking to her about her traditions around an Advent wreath. Welcome back to Jesuitical, Carrie. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I'm glad you recommended this drink for us because... Uh, I think it's going to be really good. Could you just tell us what you've recommended? And why? <laughs> okay. So I have never had this drink. Let me preface that. All right. But I have seen it recommended on another podcast, and it is Orange Fanta and Eggnog combined. That Which? is the extent to the recipe. It's like curdling. <laughs> yeah. There is something rising to the top. <laughs> Maybe we make cheese with it later. Yeah. Uh, Ashley vetoed this hard. I did. Um, but I surprised everybody by picking it up on my way in today. So. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, my gosh. It's like a creamsicle. It it's is a really creamsicle. Good. Really, really good. This All is right. delicious. All right. Do you have regrets, Ashley, for being so close-minded? Go ahead. Take another sip, Ashley. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. We it's did not delicious. only bring you on to talk about eggnog. Uh, you also have a wreath tradition in your family, which I would love to hear about. Sure. So we have an Advent wreath. This is not unusual. My tradition dish differs, perhaps, because mostly I take it out and then I put it on the table. And then I so put far, it back so in the box in four weeks. <laughs> That's where our tradition sort of differs maybe from some other Catholic families. What do you, I, you, you take it out and you put it back in the box. Is there nothing that happens in the in-between time? We forget to light it. Oh. Okay. That's what happens in the interim. 
Um, so I'll light it a couple times. This wreath I bought probably like 12 years ago, and it has the original candles. So wow. if that tells you the frequency with which we we light you it. You haven't burned through a single set of candles yet? In 12 we, years. We light it sometimes every year, and that, but not enough to go through a single why set were of candles. Why, why do we pick you to talk about Advent wreaths? <laughs> <laughs> to make everyone else feel better. Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm one of four uh, siblings, and it was always a tradition during Advent to fight over who got to light and blow out the candles. This is... Is this why you don't do it, to avoid This is strife? also a tradition amongst my children. <laughs> um, my youngest almost caught her hair on fire trying to blow them out the other day. So we... That's the other thing. is we Like, since I've had kids, we can only leave them lit for, like, the first five minutes of dinner. So they don't burn down very quickly either. Right. We've done it a couple times this year already. Both no, Sundays. No judgment here. Well, only a little, I suppose. So you've got the candles. You also did some research into what the candles symbolize, which I, I didn't know any of this. I This is only a recent thing that I have also learned, right? So there are four candles. Everyone knows the pink candle, right? That it's like the symbol it's of the joy, fun one. Yeah. the fun one. It's three weeks into Advent. Um, that is also called the shepherd's candle because of the joy of uh, the shepherd's experience hearing about the birth of Christ, right? You also have uh, the prophecy candle, which is the first one that symbolizes hope. Then the Bethlehem candle, which is a reminder of the Holy Family's journey. And the angel's candle, which is the fourth one and symbolizes love. So these are things that I only re- recently learned, which is maybe a little I gap just in my learned them catechesis. Right now. Um, but which I found really interesting and which helps uh, motivate me to want to try to light them more and be able to talk about those same themes with my kids. Well, and you mentioned these are themes that are hard to kind of like add stress or it's a Christmas thing that like is sort yeah. of Yeah, so I, I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself during Advent because I think there is this sense that like Advent is almost like the antidote to the commercialism of the Christmas season. It's like taking time. It's being quiet. It's being present. It's It's got this joyful anticipation and that there's a sense of like, if I do this right, <laughs> that like my kids will be happy. Our family will be peaceful. I don't know. I've, I've created this sort of like wonderful uh, medicine related to You'll Advent. You'll get this like Catholic Norman Rockwell moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, what I'm realizing over time, I think, is that trying to just do whatever it is we can do and do it deliberately is better than like, everyone sit down, we have to light the candle, we can't break our streak, you know? like <laughs> It's more like, okay, we're here, we're together tonight, let's be present to that. And if tomorrow is a little crazier, like, let's accept that. I think that's part of, part of like living in Advent. You got a new Advent wreath this year. Yeah, I bought it in the summer on sale. And then I almost forgot about it because it was in the basement. <laughs> and then I remembered about it uh, like Thanksgiving weekend. And I was like, yes, got it in time. And we pulled it out. It's like chunky wooden pieces that you put together like a puzzle and it forms a circle, a wreath, right? And it has these wooden candles that go in it and little wooden flames. So A, no fire hazard. Great. Unless they try to Unless... light the wood on fire. <laughs> then it's <laughs> even worse. Then it's hazard. a bonfire. <laughs> it's perfect kindling. Uh, we haven't gotten to that level yet. Um, and B... One of the nice things is you put the little wooden flame in it and it stays, you know, quote unquote, lit for the whole week. So there's not like a pressure to like, oh, we got to remember to do this. It just kind of sits there as like a nice reminder that this is the week we're in and that 
I think the sort of light of Advent is present and burning and there, even if I'm not feeling like uh, worthy of it, I guess, or present to it. I, I just have to remember to take the time to recognize it and that it comes in surprising ways, right? Like I think the only way that we're going to get this wreath tradition going is if we if it involves fire and a dining room table and like everyone sitting peacefully around it. Whereas sometimes I think it's okay if it's a wooden advent wreath on a side table in your living room that also has like Play-Doh on it. Do you, did you feel this pressure like with children? Like, did you want to like create traditions for them or pass them on to them, or have you always had like this? I think I had this even when I was just like a single person living in New York. Like, I want to be present. I want to do this. This is a beautiful tradition. There's, and so I become frustrated with myself when I like don't actually find the time to do it. I do think I feel additional pressure um, to introduce it to my children because I think. It's a very opportune moment in the liturgical season to kind of catch their attention, right? It's something. It's not like um, necessarily as sort of rote or routine as maybe um, sort of year-long Christian practices might seem to kids. It's like something new. It's exciting. It changes each week. And so I think there, it has the potential to really capture their sort of like little Catholic imaginations in a new way. And so I want to be able to like take advantage of those teaching moments for them. And so then I think I'm like put that pressure on myself um, to like try to make it beautiful and perfect or at least like fun. Yeah. What are you uh, finding that they love about Advent? Uh, blowing out the candles, which for some reason, I think because they are small and their lungs are small, takes like seven to eight minutes and they just gradually move closer and closer. They can't blow it out from uh-huh. their seats. The table's too far and they just gradually move closer and closer until I have to help because otherwise I, their hair catches on fire. Three yeah. million dollar idea. Trick advent candles. <laughs> Go ahead and take that someone. Run with it. Great prank on your priest, your mom, whoever. So go ahead and run with that. Uh, Carrie, thanks so much for joining the podcast. We do have one final question for you. Let's go with um, Christmas Midnight Mass. Yes or no? And with kids and without kids. Like, has your age, I assume your answer might have changed <laughs> okay, <laughs> over so your lifetime. <laughs> here, I've never been to Midnight Mass. We always just went to regular Christmas Eve Mass. I am pro in theory. I just. I don't go. I'm well, too tired. I feel like the important qualifier there: regular Christmas Eve mass, but there's nothing regular about the Christmas Eve mass. I would say. Okay, Mr. Liturgy. Well, it's just like <laughs> I feel like it's a beautiful, unique moment. You know, like it's uh, there are a lot of special things that happen at that mass, and most of them are. I chaos. would not disagree with you. Yeah, <laughs> regularly timed Christmas yes. Eve mass at a very special liturgy in honor of a wonderful feast. Yes, is that better? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Carrie Weber, your article on Advent wreaths and your family is out. We will link to it in our show notes. Thanks so much for being here, Carrie. All right. That was Carrie Weber on both wreaths and eggnog. Are, are you finished with yours, Zach? I, I am. I'm glad you came around on it. Yeah. What's not to love? Creamsicle with whiskey in it. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, add the Fanta. If you're worried about eggnog, it really does change the game. That was a great episode. I loved it. I'm coming to the end of the year, so just wanted to thank all of you listening right now. We were able to have some really great conversations, able to go to Rome to cover the Synod, able to meet some of you, um, and we're looking to do a lot more of that in the new year. So thank you so much. We are praying for you, and... Merry Christmas. We'll see you in 2024. 
Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Michael O'Brien, Delaney Coyne, and Kevin Christopher Robles, who's also our sound engineer. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on X and Instagram at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next year.